0: Welcome to the Millionaire Secrets Podcast, where the most successful people in the world share their secrets to help you create the awesome life you desire. Welcome to another episode of Millionaire Secrets. Jeff Lerner, your host. Always riveted to be here. It's crazy that we get to do this and call it work because it's basically just hanging out with cool, smart people. Today's no exception to that. We're joined by Stephen Scoggins. He is a best-selling author. Award-winning entrepreneur, multiple eight-figure businesses, and the creator of the Life Mastery framework known as Transform You, which I'm excited to do. I'm always eager to be transformed and uh, not a guy who was uh, born with the silver spoon, so to speak. Actually used to be homeless, so we're going to get to hear about life on both sides. Steven, welcome to Millionaire Secrets.
1: Dude, so good to be here, man. just love, love the show. Love the energy. Uh, I hope we can draw some knowledge today that will help somebody.
0: Yeah, well, that's that's the intent. We're just going to see where this takes us, and I'm confident that we're going to strike the gold that we're supposed to strike. So, uh, I, you know, I try to be like an original creative interviewer, but sometimes stories beg to be repeated, and I'm sure this is not the first time you have been asked this, but can you tell us this journey from Homelessness to it sounds like you had and I don't want to misstate it but like an epiphany and then you became an entrepreneur and now you make money like it's I don't know growing acorns or something but <laughs> um, yeah tell me tell me the backstory man it sounds like a crazy journey
1: well I wish growing money was was quite that easy as acorns <laughs> but uh, yeah yeah we, we've we I've been very fortunate very blessed in the season of life no um you know I think I grew up like a lot of people you know I, there was a Time magazine poll that came out not long ago that. Over 67% of the overall population, American population would say they're unhappy, unfulfilled and kind of missing something out of life. Yeah, um, You know, and that only leaves 33% of people who would think, you know, hey, I got a plan. I'm doing good. That kind of deal. Um, well, I was in that 67% Indeed, I come from a fourth generation um, broken home, I guess you could say. In fact, I actually discovered that my Scoggins last name actually came as a result of being transferred from England. To the United States in the 1600s uh, as part of a penal colony, because oh. my forefathers uh, killed a deer on a lord's land and got punished for it by becoming an indentured servant. So that's how we got our start here. But um, you know, growing up, uh, my uh, my father struggled with alcohol quite a bit. Mother uh, struggled with her own stuff. You know, she had some kind of um, I wouldn't call it a mental disorder, but she definitely struggled with emotional and physical abuse early on. So obviously the ramifications of that and. You know, early on, probably three what, probably three years old, they um they went to go chase their own, call it answers. You know, dad went to Denver, mother uh, went to Kentucky, and you know, they got married to other people and all kinds of stuff along the way and, and kind of left me to be raised by my single grandmother, which was great, you know, because I didn't have to listen to the fighting and the arguing and all that kind of stuff, you know, that was kind of going on that you don't really realize is a big deal as a kid, which is all great. I know, but you know, I was nurtured, I was loved, I was empowered, I was encouraged mm-hmm. until about the age of nine years old, when my grandmother sits me down, and I'll never forget this. We were in this uh, old brick home, right, built in the '70s, so it had like the uh, the the tangerine and green and orange like carpet and like linoleum and all that kind of right. stuff. And she, uh, she, you know, she pulled me up. She sat down at uh, essentially the dining room table, with a in a black chair. And at nine years old, I literally have a GI Joe in one hand. I got a transformer in the other. And she's telling me, she's like, I'm going to need your help. And I'm like, you know, she called her nanny. I was like, well, of course, whatever you need. She goes, you don't understand I'm sick.
0: Hmm.
1: I need you to help me take care of your little brother. My brother was three at the time. No, six at the time. And I'm literally, I'm, that was my first dose into having to grow up fast. And over the next 12 months, she taught me how to make everything from oatmeal to boiled hot dogs to macaroni and cheese to get my brother up and all kinds of stuff to get us to school and all kinds of stuff. Because she strictly, she straight up didn't have the strength. And she was battling chemo and, and the and the cancer that she had, they had discovered. And, you know, that went off for probably a year, year and a half before my aunt kind of moved in to kind of help out. And then things kind of went from bad to worse. You know, my nanny then got basically terminally ill. And then that opened up a whole nother can of worms. And. Lo and behold, at the age of 11, my father comes back into my life. My brother goes to live with my mother down in Florida. And fortunately, unfortunately, because you know, I look at my life now, and I'm like, I'm thankful for everything, right? I'm right, thankful right. for all the and everything, right? But in the moment, I didn't realize it, but, um, you know, I'm split up from my brother, I go to, live, go to live, with, live, with my, uh, live with my dad, small town called Fugway Marina here in North Carolina. And essentially nights, weekends, holidays, anytime that I wasn't in school, I was put on a construction crew learning how to build homes. I started carrying studs, I kid you not, for a $1 an hour, which was big money to me, right? And, you know, I started kind of by the time I was 16, you know, I was, had been doing framing crews, all that kind of stuff with my father. I was gotten to where I was running the crew. Like at 16 years old, I've got people that are twice even three times my age listening to me because I can read blueprints. Right. And, you know, on the surface, I've seen like it was okay. My, my dad was never great with money. But, One of the most important things in my life actually happened during that season. And that was that I met my dad's employer, a guy by the name of Steve Myrick. And I didn't find out until later in life, but essentially Steve Myrick used to work for my grandfather, my father's father. Mm -hmm. And it was crazy because for some reason, Steve took a liking to me like early on. I was, you know, like I said, a young teenager. He would pull me down off the framing crews and stuff like that or the crew in general. He put me in his Jeep Grand Cherokee, He'd drive me around the community and talk about flipping real estate. He would talk about um, basically my father, my grandfather. And I'll never forget this for as long as I live because one of the questions that he asked, well, it didn't resonate with me in the moment it resonated with me when I was looping out and sleeping out under the stars. Hmm. And he said this, he said, what's the difference between a rich man and a poor man? And as a teenager, I'm like, well, duh, money right you know right? and he said absolutely not it's the way they think a rich man a rich man is always earning to invest he's always earning to build he's always looking at relationships he's looking you know relational capital he's looking at physical capital he's looking at deals he's he just thinks differently right a poor man will spend all these guys and that's all you and that's and that's essentially what the life is and you'll struggle to get by and he goes he had a, he asked me a question he goes do you want to be me or do you want to be your dad and I love my dad. My dad's a great guy. Like, he's, he's a fantastic right. grandfather, come a long way. But in that moment, I was like, well, you're the resemblance of everything that I think we want, right? Not realizing that money doesn't really solve problems, per se.
0: Right.
1: <laughs> it just adds some complexities of things, you know? And that mentorship continued all the way through my, um, my junior year in high school. And fortunately, unfortunately, again, uh, part of my story is in my junior year of high school, uh, things got so bad financially. My dad lost his business. We got evicted. We had people show up at our house telling us to get out of our own home. Repossessions, the whole deal. <clears throat> we ended up staying with my my father's parents uh, for a little while until Steve gave us a, a, some basic shelter in a trailer park. And I watched us go from, you know, essentially having the American dream, to not having anything. Mm-hmm. I watched the toll it took on my dad's identity. I watched the toll it took on my dad's. Um, belief in what could be possible, you know, the the willingness to either get up or stay down kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched him fight and work as hard as he could, and he never he never could outwork the way he thought. And it stuck with me. And as a result, you know, we went without a car for a while, and, our you know, lights were getting shut off. We had insects all over the place, roaches and all kinds of places we were living. I just I just felt like it was more to life, and I just felt like it was something I was missing kind of deal. Um, so I dropped out of high school to help my dad pay the bills. And I did okay for a while, honestly. I thought, okay, well, this is a good decision for me. I, you know, I'm, I'm making money. I went to go work for Steve um, with my uh, a siding company, which is not, it's not super sexy. Right. the construction industry itself is not super sexy until somebody needs something built. Right. <laughs> right, you know, and as a result, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working and I'm, and I'm busting it. I'm 19 years old by this this, this stage in the game. I'm making six figures a year as a 19-year-old kid who's never been trained to use money, never been trained to actually steward any level of wealth. And six figures for a 19-year-old that's never had money is, it's like having $10 million. I mean, it really right, is. Right. So, I did like everybody else. I bought a bunch of stuff to show off to a bunch of people and, you know, ended up dating the wrong person. And next thing you know, I'm a year later, I'm sleeping out of the stars. Hmm. Uh, you know, some of that bad decision of my own, some of that is insecurities of my own. Some of that was pride. Um, some of that was not the, not having the willingness to look myself honestly in the mirror and actually having a total self-awareness or total self-assessment, you know, blaming my circumstances on my father and my mother and the blame shame game, not realizing the accountability of my life was my life. And it was in that moment that I kind of had a divine encounter, so to speak, that would take us a whole lot, a whole bigger show to kind of explain and unpack, um, but let's just put it this way. I had two choices in my life or restart my life.
0: Hmm.
1: And that divine encounter kind of gave me that. And my brother gave me an opportunity to clean a litter box for 50 bucks, which I desperately needed the money. And to look hindsight being 2020, I would have definitely asked for more money. Because right. most litter boxes, you know, there's sand in the litter box and you got, you know, stuff in there or whatever. Well, I came into this one, the you know, things like an ice cream cone, like, you know, like it's, it's pretty tall up there. And- right. You know, I went through this process of, you know, just kind of self-reflection. That was my lowest, lowest moment. I mean, I was, uh, my life had come down to cleaning cat crap. And, you know, I I went through a kind of, like I said, the divine encounter. And the next thing you know, I had an open door. Steve Meyer let me back on my dad's framing crew, And, you know, after kind of betraying him on the front end, not meaning to, one of the things that I ran into was this sense of blame and shame. He would drive around the neighborhood again and I would go and hide. Right, well, then a Friday afternoon rolls around and everything knocks off around two o'clock in the construction industry. At least it used to back in the day. Mm -hmm. Where people get their paychecks and everybody starts their kind of the early weekend. And all the people who were had the kind of the poverty mindset. We were that family would go take all the money and we'd blow it all before the next you know Monday rolled around. Well, the guys that had taken over for me from when I had technically walked off a job site from Steve made some comment about them not coming back because Steve wasn't paying his bills, which is totally farce. Um, there was a draw schedule. And as a draw schedule, if you were 10% done, you got 10% of your money. If you were 50%, right, right. Like, so they were like 70% drawn on a 30% house kind of scenario. And I don't know, something inside of me just kind of got really livid. I got really upset that they were going to betray this guy that I greatly respected and all this kind of stuff. And it's interesting enough, as I'm walking away from those guys, one of the things that I hear in myself is, are you mad at them or are you mad at yourself? Because I'm the one that made them. I'm the one that made the actual mistake. Right. So they, they made this comment about not coming back Monday. Steve rolls around in his Jeep. And I, I get out there and I walk over to his car. He rolls the window down. He says, Hey, how's your head now, boy? You know, give me some, you know, give me a grace. And you have, I'm wearing, I'm wearing a, a Lowe's nail apron. Right. Mm-hmm. Which for the construction industry means you're like super low on the totem pole. <laughs> right he rolls the window down we, we and I just said, hey you know I said you know I'm, I'm, I'm doing better and I said hey look these guys they said they're not coming back Monday and you know I'd love to. i love you you know if, if you just give me one more chance you just give me a shot
0: mm-hmm.
1: he kind of laughed at me it's like what you know with what you got no credit you got no money you got no tools you got no people working like working for you or with you right how you expect how are you expecting to go do this because I'm not buying your truck. I'm not buying your equipment. I'm not doing all the things I did last time when you took a dump on it. Right. I'm like, you know what? You're right. I'll figure it out. He was kind of stunned. He kind of looked back and he's like, hmm. Wow. I tell you what. If, if those guys don't come back by 9 a.m. on Monday, then I'll make a deal with you. I'll let you finish that house and we'll go from there. I said, Deal. He rules up his window, drives off the job site. My dad's walking up to me like angry. Like, what are you doing? I just got you back on this crew. And he's like totally like livid. And I just, I began screaming almost at the top of my lungs. You don't understand. This is something I've got to do. You don't understand. Like I was on fire, like from my torso up, like totally on fire. I just knew that this, I, I knew that this is something I had to prove to myself. I knew it was something I had to prove to Steve. I didn't know it was, what it was going to turn into. I didn't have any kind of idea of what my hopes would be. I didn't know if it was going to succeed or fail. I just knew I had to do it. My dad, for the first time, shows up in a way that he hadn't shown up before. He walks over to this old beat up van that Steve actually um, began pulling out tools after we had just put him in there, of course. And he's like, Hey, you know, um, I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm getting the tools out. I'm like, Why? He's like, Do you remember the scaffolding that we made when you were a kid? Yeah. What was it made out of? Wood. How about the walk boards? Wood. How about the ladders? Wood. We got, to, we got tools to build. He said, so I need you to go do me a favor. I need you to walk over that trash pile and start pulling lumber out of the trash pile. Hmm. Spent the entire weekend building the equipment I would need come Monday morning, not knowing if I was going to have an opportunity Monday morning. Spent my entire $187 check on renting a piece of equipment called a brake machine, which is a piece that bends metal for houses for fascia and like the trim pieces. And sure enough, 8.30, I'm sitting out there on the curb waiting. Steve comes by, looks over, said, can I go yet? He's like, it's not 9 o'clock. 8.48, comes around. Can I go yet? No, not yet. 8.56, can I go yet? No, can't go around. 9.01, now can I go? What? What are you waiting for? And that's all I needed. And – That was the day number one of my 22-year flagship that now employs 450 people across three states, known as Custom Home Exteriors, that provided me the ability to own multiple businesses at this stage in the game. And it was all started out of a second chance, Mm -hmm. a willingness to not quit, and a willingness to actually get more resourceful than I thought I needed. Like I didn't, when I look at businesses and entrepreneurs all the time, I see them one of the biggest mistakes I made, in fact, several of them that I've been coaching and walking through this COVID thing with is they got, they went out and got heavily leveraged. Yeah. You know, they said, well, it's a bull market and everything's awesome. We're, you know, we're going to be making money hand over fist. I'm going to get this house, get this. I'm like, there's something that always follows the bull and his name is a bear. And if you don't prepare for the bear, when the bull's running around, you're going to get burned. And sure enough, that's probably the greatest principle that has allowed my businesses to be successful during this whole COVID thing. Whereas many of my people I've been working through and coaching has said, you're not going to forget this lesson, are you? Yeah. There's just something about losing things and losing it and having to face your identity and having to face yourself and you know the the imposter syndrome and all the things that come with that. You know, so. That's that's how I got to kind of where I'm at today. I know it's kind of a long story, but.
0: Yeah, no, it's a, a lot great story. It's a great story. So, I mean, the question that that jumps out at me among, I guess there several, but the, the first one is, you know, home exteriors, siding, mm-hmm. construction industry. It's It's kind of a commodity. I mean, there's a million, you drive into the parking lot of a Home Depot, there's 20 guys out there that all do construction or say, Hey, can you do floors? I do floors. Can you do tile? I do tile. Can you do plumbing? I do. Pl-. They'll all say they do it all. Right. It's like, mm-hmm. it's not an industry where let's just say it's a low barrier to entry industry and it's really competitive because there's just so many people doing it because it's kind yeah. of a de- it's something you default to. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how, do, how does a guy who's you go from, I do siding just like a million other people to, I have 450 employees in three states, probably one of the bigger, you know, ex- home exterior companies in the country. And like, what was the differentiating factor that got you from one job to two jobs to 10 jobs to a thousand jobs? Like what, what, what set you apart?
1: I think one of the greatest things that I got to understand uh, in being around Steve and being around other entrepreneurs is watching them do what they do modeling, for example. Um, I mean, a lot of people call it modeling behavior, successful behaviors, blah, blah, blah. There's right. a truth to that, right? It doesn't have to be a buzzword. It's a real thing. I watched Steve be one of the most generous men that I've ever met, leaving $1,000 tips under a napkin for a single waitress and walking out the door, never saying a word, mm-hmm. to also being the same kind of guy who would tell a police officer to get off the street because he owned it. <laughs> right? I watched, So, I watched Frugalness meets Grace. So I watched that. And then about five or six years in, I began actually getting those customers. So in fact, I'll give you an idea. So when my average day was about two years in, um, I would get up 5, 6 a.m., head to the job site, unload the tools, put my tool belt on, go to work, start doing my thing. By 1130, I would come down. I'd take that clothes off. i put on a pair of khakis and a polo shirt. I'd go do a quote unquote sales call. Right. Meet somebody, and they and they can smell my stink on me. I'm sure, you know, because I mean, you, you smell like sawdust and everything else, and you know, they would give me a set of plans, and I would put those plans in. I, you know, hi, Mr. Customer. You know, how can I help you? Kind of thing. Super serve. I went through all those steps. I come back to the job site. I change clothes back into the construction stuff. I'd work till dark. I'd get in the car. I hit Wendy's on the way home. Get me a one of the what do they call it a Dave special or whatever get to the house, eat that joke on the way home. And then I would sit at my makeshift desk that consisted of two, two by tens and a folding chair with a computer that I was loaning <laughs> from someone else. Right. And I would sit there and I would do my quotes and I would do that to 30, 10 o'clock at night. I'd send the email off and I would do that all over again. Well, that momentum created more momentum in progress. I found that the more active I was, the more consistent that I was, the more grittier, the the grittier that I was, the more that opportunity seemed to open. Right. And then I had to take the same same example that I have with Steve. And it's okay. this is an opportunity. What am I going to do with this opportunity? Am I going to squander it like I did the first opportunity Steve gave me? Or am I going to take complete advantage of this, bust my butt, get myself together and kind of grind it out? So that was kind of step one. Well, around step two, I began to work for some of the regional and national home builders at a very small scale, mm-hmm. like they gave me like one community. And of course, they didn't have like a hundred in the city, right? And I would do one, and then I noticed that they started talking about these things called purchase orders and POs. I was like, well, "What's a purchase order?" Well, a purchase order is, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a written document that basically says this is how much we committed to pay. Mm-hmm. You could do that, yeah. In fact, the more volume you have, the, the lower your price goes. You can do that, really. So early on, I just began to understand, much like that Ray Kroc and those a lot of those uh, guys that built the essentially what I refer to as the flat the uh, franchise flagships, right? The system is the is the solution, right? You see, while there might be a thousand people at Home Depot, 100 saying, "Hey, I can do I can do this, I can do that, I can do this, I can do that," most of them aren't doing what Steve Myrick taught me to do, which was think different. There's a, there's, a, there's a big discrepancy between the guy that's just sitting out there waiting for a job to be done at a Home Depot or something and one who's thinking about, okay, how can I make the most of every opportunity? How can I watch my, my expenses like nobody else? How can I develop a culture? How can I build myself so I can build others? How can I create leadership? Like there's so much that goes into the early stages of a business that really define the 10 years preceding or following that business. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, tell people, I tell people all the time, the greatest mistake I ever made in building a business was not building myself because one day I looked up and I was making, call it $15 million in top line revenue, okay? I'm a homeless high school dropout that's never been to college and never actually taken the time to even at that moment, even learn how to read a P&L statement. So, all of my leadership, everything that I was doing, everything that I was leaning into came a lot from fear. I didn't want them to know I didn't know what I was doing. Hmm even though I was in my closet at night praying somehow, some way, fix me, help me, teach me, you know? And then I then I just started looking at what Steve did for me. Steve, what did Steve do? He mentored me. Okay, well, where, where are people who can mentor me in finance? Where are people who can mentor me in job costing? Where are people who can mentor me in leadership? Where are people who can mentor me in operational structure? You know, so there was a lot of really good, a grace and sweat equity that came out of having to do everything in the business. Each started, these are the, fa- each phase, which allowed me to actually build a culture that cares because I actually can, I'm able to show empathy because I'm, I'm a better leader now than I used to be. Thank God. Right. But now I'm able to show that empathy because I understand what they face. So I can say, Hey, look, I understand that, you know, it's hot outside and you don't want to be out there. I understand it's raining. It's cold. I understand. I tell you what, if you'll keep doing this, this, and this, I guarantee you in twelve months that that won't be your reality. And those that have believed that and went after it achieved it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've heard you say some some gold. Uh, I want to kind of recap a few of it for myself, especially it's like don't forget that one thing you said early on was that it was about your dad that he was never able to outwork the way he thought. Yep, that was a that was kind of a mic drop moment, like. We'll circle back to, and everybody can hear that. You'll never outwork the way you think. You know, Jim Rohn said, your income will never exceed your level of personal development. Same thing, right?
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, The other thing, and this goes to the way you thought, the other thing I heard is, I mean, dude, those are some brutal long ass days that you were putting in over and over and over. And to me, the most impressive thing about it isn't that you worked for 12 or 14 hours whatever it was it's the context switching to go mm-hmm. from laboring to sales and business development back to laboring and then to you know office administrative managerial at night so that's three switches every day yeah to cover all the bases that allowed you to actually grow the business and get out of the loop of just laboring yeah for sure and the reality is what you described any laborer could actually do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But how many of them are taking the extra set of pressed clothes to the job site, changing, dealing with the ignominy of, oh, I stink, but I'm mm-hmm. still going to go act like a, you know, a, a professional. yeah, And then I'm going to go back and make up the work when everybody else is knocking off at five. I'll stay till eight to make up for the time I went and sold. Like that opportunity is available to everyone. It's what I say to everyone. It's like, Anybody can, but clearly everybody doesn't. Correct. But anybody could do what you just did if they thought the way you thought. Exactly. Which is
1: why I created the Journey Principles Institute a couple of years ago, which is obviously the, the, essentially became the Transform You system. Um, Transform You is nothing more than a step-by-step process to let somebody actually get breakthrough. And I don't mean like in the rah-rah hokey kind of way. There's, There's lots of that. I made a decision a long time ago that when I started this, this journey of putting myself out there trying to help people that I didn't want to be any type of guru. I wanted to be what Steve Mark was for me, which was a guide. Hmm. And I wanted to come from a place of experience. I wanted to come a place from like, you don't have to pay the stupid tax. Like I did. Some of my stupid tax has lots of zeros behind it.
0: You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Me too, for what that's worth. You're in good company here. (laughs) That's awesome.
1: You know, but you know, as you go through, as you go through an entrepreneurial journey, especially for the solopreneur. Yeah when you're in that solopreneur mode, a lot of times we get lost in the doing it, in the doing it. We're not, we're not taking the time to thinking, okay, what do I need to know in order to scale what I have? We're too busy trying to go from, uh, from a thousand dollars a month to a hundred million dollars in a year. Right. Rather than, you know, it's, it's a steady increase. It's the committed steps day after day. You know, I just, I think the thing that, me betraying Steve at some level him because he gave me the first shot and of course I got greedy and prideful and egotistical and arrogant and I was a jerk and not towards him but towards other people like I wanted to show off and flip $100 bills in front of people at the at the local pool hall because of the the people my age hung out right I wanted to get the the brand new Camaro as soon as it came in off the lot and put my 10-inch subwoofers in it and like show off and all this kind of stuff and Steve never, never one time condemned me. Not one time that he ever said that son of a. At least not to my face, right? He always he would tell other people. I still believe he can do it. Like sometimes you have to have someone that sees something in you that you don't see in yourself, and the only way you get there is by having a mentor that can look outside of yourself. And I find that a lot of solopreneurs they get they get to your point they get they get kind of focused in just that doing it doing it doing it that they don't realize there are plenty of people, especially in this day and age, you got YouTube, you got shows like yours. There are lots of different resources to get nuggets and, and to kind of begin to lay the, those stepping stones, if you will, to build something special. You know, the other thing that I see the entrepreneurs face in this process and, and can get you off track is if you're so focused on just creating a life for yourself, you're never going to create a scalable organization. Mm. And the reason being is because the primary responsibility of every single entrepreneurial venture is to create opportunities for other people. It's one of the greatest gifts of service, but one of the most underrated gifts of service that we can give of an economy. I think, it's what, I think it's what, 78, 80% of most, uh, most businesses in America are small ventures.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: they are people of 20 team members down to one team member.
0: Mm-hmm. And they create the majority of jobs.
1: Exactly. But yet we celebrate these big behemoths. Not saying that what they did wasn't important because a lot of the behemoths started in card tables and garages right. and stuff like that. Right. But what I discovered a long time ago is, that, is if I was going to outwork my thought, I was going to have to think differently. And I knew I couldn't get financial advice from my dad. I knew I couldn't get relationship advice from my dad. Right. Steve Meyer could pass away by that, by that time frame. So it's like, where can I get this information? And that was the question I began to ask a lot of that I think helped set the tone for me to do that shifting. You know, I'm, my brain is in and out of six businesses on a weekly basis, mm-hmm. right? Is it my holding company? Is it the journey Principles? Is it this one of the CHE businesses? That, that ability to switch between businesses and be a leader of multiple organizations came from those moments when I was actually on the job site having to put on the siding, getting off the crew because it forces you to think different. You know, so you've got this, you've got this aspect of desire. You've got a desire to think different, which means you have to get out of your own way. Then you've got the next stage is who can help me, right? And the next thing you gotta do is, okay, well, if I find the person that can help me, do they have the character and the trustworthiness to allow myself to follow them? Every great leader used to follow a great leader. Hmm. No one is born a great leader. It is a customizable, trainable skill set. But what I, I've, to your point from earlier, one of the things that I see that people struggle with most is the belief that it's possible. People don't basically go from that, like you were talking about with that labor, they're not doing the same kind of things, they're not thinking this way. Many of them don't do that because they don't believe it's possible. They're so wrapped up in the life that they've been living that they forget that they can plan a life that they want. You know what I'm saying? And so there's there's a lot of components that kind of go into a scenario that kind of j- ultimately changes your overall mindset for sure.
0: So how do you, you know, one of the things you said was that you say to people in your organization that are not loving their current circumstance, you say, listen, if you just, if you power through and you keep doing the good work 12 months from now or whenever, your circumstance will change. Yeah. Um, and that a lot of them, believe that. You know, I've I've done I've got a kind of an on and off lately more of it but you know, I've been involved in in house renovations and real estate flipping and stuff for yeah. a while. So I, so I have a reasonable experience of the construction industry. Yeah. And I would say that like strong values driven leadership yeah. and yeah instillment of belief in the in the laborers and the you know a career ascendance trajectory and like this stuff that's not normal for that industry yeah Um, you know it's everybody's kind of like it has a little bit of a mercenary feel like they're just there to get what they can and eat what they kill and on to the next gig and whatever Um, and they, they drop it they come in they drop out whatever so I'm curious in that industry especially it seems like it would be a challenge to build really great culture But Mm -hmm. I'm getting the sense, partly just by virtue of your success, you can't manage an organization of 500 people without culture, um, at least not successfully. How have you been able to infuse culture into a traditionally kind of culture resistant channel?
1: The greatest secret to, I think, any organization, whether it be construction or any other industry, is do you care for other people as much as you care for yourself?
0: Mm.
1: Um, It is a skill that cannot be fake. Yeah. It is a very, very intuitive skill. It is something that I watched Steve Myrick model for me, obviously one of my first mentors. I've, been, I've had the pleasure and the um, honor of also being mentored by Dave Ramsey and John Maxwell and a handful of other people throughout my career, um, which has obviously gave me a, a pretty decent roadmap and how to manage culture. But at the end of the day, it comes down to, are you treating people like they matter? I've discovered that people will actually, if they believe that you actually value them and value their work and you're able to say, hey, look, you're doing a great job. They value that that affirmation, if you will, over income in many respects. Like those people will grind it out with you until they get to the income level they really want. Mm. Okay. Now, I'm not saying, I'm just be completely transparent. I'm not saying I've never had to terminate anybody or I've never had a situation, you know, but
0: I would I not think you were a very good leader if you would never <laughs> let anybody go. So,
1: You know what I'm saying? But, you know, at the end of the day, the vast majority of the team that we have, many of them have been with you for a long, long time, years-wise. But it's because they know that if, they're, if their marriage is struggling, that they're going to come have a conversation with them. I'm going to sit down with them. They're going to say, hey, look, I've got something going on at home. This is what I got going on. I'm going to say, okay, great. Find your therapist. Find your counselor. and Let me pay for several lessons or several, you know, several meetings, by the way, I think we should let the team know that you're either leading or part of that. You've just got something going on right now. And we're, as a group, we're going to come around you and love on you. We're going to pick up your slack. In other words, we're going to pick up your slack. When so many of us entrepreneurs are like, the production stop, you're out. Yeah, And if you treat people like a commodity, they will be one. Hmm. People don't want to be treated like a commodity. The one thing that people fear more than anything, I mean, back in the 50s and the 60s, you could work for Goodyear or any Walmart, any of these major brands, and know they had your back.
0: Yeah. Know they had your back. Even though they necessarily didn't pay you that much. Exactly. Yeah. But they were there. They were solid. But if
1: something was going on, they were there to to kind of help you through it, so to speak.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Right? I had this interesting epiphany about 10 years ago with my business and it's probably why it led me to owning a, a established a personal development company at this stage in the game. I discovered the values and the things that make CHE successful. Okay, so CHE is the flagship of all the other brands that I have. All have one thing in common. My desire to be better than I was yesterday. When you do that for enough time, all of a sudden you find yourself teaching other people in your organization by osmosis. Mm -hmm. You're like, Hey John, come here, dude, man, you're, you, you are doing, you are so good at this, this, and this dude, if you could just fine tune this one thing, dude, I'm telling you, man, like the, the sky's the limit for you. Really? You think so? Yeah. We just got, we just got to fine tune that one thing. In fact, are you are you willing to meet me once a week for thirty minutes after work and let us let us see if we can't hammer out some success out of that thing? I have yet to have one single team member tell me no, huh. not one. Now, obviously, you don't say that to necessarily to people that maybe you're struggling to kind of get there. Like people, again, people can sense if you're being real or not. Right. However, it's your choice whether or not to be real. It's your choice whether or not to focus on the good in someone versus then the stuff that they're screwing up. Right. That, that one culture shift for me taught me something very unique about the construction industry as a whole. And that is my business has never, ever been a construction business. It's always been a personal development company masquerading as a construction company.
0: Huh. Wow. Yeah.
1: And I think no matter what industry you're in, right? I don't care if you're in tech. I don't care if you're in private equity right? I don't care if you're in investment banking as a whole, right? I don't care if you're in real estate. I don't care if you're selling TVs. Every last one of the major economy shifter mechanisms in the economy, all are able to teach personal development skills that help that very same leader get to another level. And I would argue that the greatest purpose that any single leader can have in business specifically is creating a legacy that outlives them. Steve, the only people reason people know Steve Myrick's name now is because I speak about it all the time. Right. Because the guy changed my life. His legacy is outliving himself through me. And then now through my kids and through the people I'm helping. Right. So why not, why not not just have a not, why not just have a business that provides but why not have a, a business that builds a legacy? And I think when you start with that one tangible piece as the ultimate end goal, a lot of the other culture pieces begin to kind of drop into place because you can't have this end goal of creating a legacy without doing some of those things well or constantly having to pivot to challenge yourself to do those things well.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think you, you nailed it. When you said, if you treat people like a commodity, they'll be a commodity. And you pretty much explained why the construction industry has kind of that vibe about it. Of course, people are act like they're just interchangeable cogs in a machine. That's how they get treated. Yeah. Unless they work for, you know, a handful of companies like yours, probably. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love what you said that your, your business is a, is a personal development company, you know, fronting as, as, as construction. And, and I think, oh, that's, is my company, a personal development company fronting as an education company? Like, yeah, I kind of feel like we are like, oh, that's great. Like, that sounds like an amazing litmus test for, for value and culture and ultimately loyalty. I mean, and ultimately like, let's not kid ourselves. That's going to show up on the bottom line. Oh, absolutely. Massively. Absolutely.
1: It's the difference where between a team member knowing that there's a system improvement or something that can they can directly like affect Mm -hmm. walking past it. And then one that said, Hey, I see this thing over here in our purchasing department. If we tweak this one thing, I think we can add one percent. Right. That's the that's the core difference. Now, one of the other things that I have I have done is I have this policy of treating people as owners. So each one of my team members is treated like an owner in that I do have a profit sharing plan that I share with them based on financial goals. Did we get, did we get to these goals? Yes or no. If we did, they get a nice check. Mm-hmm. If we didn't, we get to retool and start over. You know? So some of those things, if you, again, if you're treating people like owners, they're going to co-own with you in many respects. So.
0: Yeah. Have you, I'm curious, have you ever read a book called Tribal Leadership I have not read it but I have heard about it.
1: It is on my reading list.
0: Yeah, it's it's pretty great. Uh the guy that wrote it, Dave Logan, I I forget his background but you know, the nice it sounds like for you you'll read the book and 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 th- this is my book recommend to the audience too. Like if you want to learn about how to build a great culture in an organization, that's a really really great book. But, you know, for you you'll go, "Oh, sweet, I'm a I'm a stage four, stage five company, which is the highest, you know, the highest level, but it's still, it's great to help you define what you're doing right. Yeah. And obviously, you know, support what you could even do better. I'm sure, but um, really, really good book. So, so let's talk more about this uh, journey principles Institute. Like, yeah. so somebody comes to you, first of all, how would somebody come to you? Like what, I mean, I guess, where do you reach people? Where do you find people? Where do people find you? And then, what is it that they get? What process or, or offering do they get from that, that organization?
1: Yeah, sure. So the easiest way to, to begin to start a conversation with us is to go, I, in fact, my good friend, Evan Carmichael, I think, uh, we, I think we share him as a friend.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's kind of how we got connected.
1: Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, when uh, I was talking to, uh, he has this comment that I like a lot. And he's like, if you're trying to decide whether or not you want to learn something from somebody, try their free stuff first.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like
1: right. That. Gotta go 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 kind of like dabble in what they've got and kind of understand that. And as a result, you can you know hit journey slash resources, and there's there's uh some some resources there you can take advantage of. But um the other thing that we've done recently, because as you know, in this in this uh call it personal development space, like it's really hard to cut through the noise. Yeah, there are a lot of people, um well-intentioned people, maybe they're on, on the fame game side of things, maybe they're not. So I made a very clear distinction early on when in my career that I wanted to be a guide and not a guru, mm-hmm.
0: right?
1: So what we do is we serve one, and as we serve one well, that one turns into ten, and that ten turns into hundred, and so on and so forth. And it's led us to actually having a, a, a pretty substantial social following overall. And we're just we try to super serve. Mm. Now on top of that, we've we began dabbling in Facebook ads to obviously help just attract different people. Right. as a result and that's kind of how we began to kind of shape things but I learned a long time ago if I couldn't serve one well I couldn't serve 10,000 well so mm-hmm. we've been heavily yeah. focused on infrastructure
0: for sure yeah amen to that I, I, let every pop-up guru with an Instagram profile hear what Steven just said <laughs> like cut your teeth by making a meaningful impact on one customer that's right in, in a way that that is connects all the way through the customer cycle, not just to collecting the money, not just to delivering the product, but supporting the product, supporting them all the way through to the desired outcome, getting that well-earned five-star review, Like like know that you can do that whole process one time. And then do it twice and eventually maybe you can do it a million times. But you're totally right. So many people, just come out of the gate. It's like, let me go buy 100,000 followers and pepper some memes out there and I'll change the world.
1: Yeah. doesn't work that way.
0: No, it doesn't work that
1: way. (laughs) People in in this day and age of the digital age of social media and everything else, people, one of the things that, because we survey people all the time, to have a better understanding of what their needs are so we can serve them better. Right. And one of the biggest things that we hear on a regular basis is, and even some, from the, even some of the bigger influencers is, they gave me an idea, but they didn't give me practical steps. Yeah. They motivated me, but I don't know what to do. You know what I'm saying? Which taught me there was a deficiency in the marketplace of actually breaking things down, which is why I built Transform Me to begin with. Transform U is literally a step-by-step process. And one of the things that makes it so special is it's the process that I used. Yeah. I get surprised. I, I, I took all the, the fluff out of stuff that didn't work, you know. What's
0: the, the, what's the outcome to the extent that there's a one-size-fits-all answer to that question? What is the outcome that people are going to get when they transform them or transform you?
1: The greatest word that keeps coming back from people is freedom. Hmm. I feel free. Um, freedom comes in a couple different forms. Freedom comes in answering one of one or more of core values to be seen, to be valued, to be heard or appreciated. Sometimes the greatest person that needs to see you is yourself, right? So we, we help people uh, undertake authenticity, actually get into their sweet spot because most people in that 67 percentile that I mentioned earlier at the beginning of the show, most of them are doing things they were never meant to create it for to do to begin with because they're trying to make mom and dad happier you know, someone else happy there. I've got painters who are attorneys and attorneys who are painters and and it's like, what are you doing? And so much of actually getting into the sweet spot, getting to the free space where you actually feel a sense of freedom. I'm not saying you're not going to have adversity. We all are, right? The difference is is when adversity comes, you're able to work through it, over it, around it, under it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think the greatest sense that we get on a regular basis from the people that we've helped succeed is freedom. Some of them, yes, made a, went out and made a bunch of money. Some of them just have an amazing marriage now, mm-hmm. right? What makes freedom and transformation so uniquely different, which is why people haven't spent a lot of time in trying to hone it down, is two things. One, everybody has a unique starting point. Okay, so mine was homeless, broken home, stuff like that. There are people who share my story, share pieces of my story. There are also people who didn't have any part of my story but yet are searching for the same things that many people are searching for, seeing, value, heard, appreciated, right? The second thing is everybody has a reasonably different outcome they're trying to achieve, right? Most programs, most systems, if you will, most processes, if you will, are are either way too rigid or don't have enough boundaries to make them successful. Right. You know, because you have to account for the starting and the desired outcome. And you have to have a process that allows some flexibility there.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's powerful. Well, I uh, I appreciate um, that 67%. I appreciate you addressing the, the 67% of the world that doesn't listen to this show. Um, and, uh, we'll get them there. We'll get them there. We'll get them there, right? One share at <laughs> a time. <laughs> yeah, no, this, this has been great, man. I wish we had more time. I know that we're, we're about out. Um, for those that want to know more about Journey Principles and also you and just, you know, whatever content you have to share, where would you refer people that want to go deeper in your world?
1: Well, if you want to connect on social, I'm most actively engaged on Facebook and Instagram.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And if you want to just learn more about what we're doing, uh, take Evan's approach, which is, uh, you know, test the free stuff and see right. if you like it, if you can add value, then go to journeyprinciples.com slash resources.
0: Yeah, Bob, I mean, and, and to your point, I literally, it's, I would say there's multiple reasons, but one of the reasons I started this show, mm-hmm. so, hey, how much can I give away? Yeah you know, let them try, let them try before they buy. Right. I mean, I have an education company we sell. I mean, you can, you can go to, you can go to us or you can go to Harvard, but like, there's plenty to do before you spend any money. So I, that's, that's a great marketing commentary by the way, for anybody.
1: People want to know that you care.
0: Yeah. They'll never care how much you know until they know how much you care. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Amen. Man. Well, this has been great. I'm so grateful that uh, Bo and Evan connected us. Um, Stephen, this has been fantastic. Any, any uh, final thoughts or comments for the Millionaire Secrets audience? I think,
1: I think it's a, there's two ways to learn, either by the experience of others or by the hard lessons for yourself. So make sure you choose wisely.
0: Yeah. yeah. Were, you, were you the one that said, no, it was on an earlier interview. Somebody, uh, Buddha said, it was from the, so saith the Buddha. He said, um, you know, anybody can learn from their mistakes our fools learn a lot from their mistakes, but the wise man learns from other people's mistakes. Something like that. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, man, this has been great. Thank you so much for being a guest on Millionaire Secrets. And thank you as always to the viewers and listeners out there. You are the best part of this show. Why we do what we do every day. We're so grateful for you and we'll see you on the next episode. Take care, everyone. You just finished this episode of the Millionaire Secrets podcast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please like and share this episode and do leave us a review. Let us know how we impacted you today. Your next step toward creating your awesome life is to join me and thousands of others in the Entra Nation community where you'll receive free training, networking with other awesome life seekers, access to live events, discounts, merchandise, and other awesome perks. Head over to www.entranation.com. That is www.entrenation.com and join us today. And of course, do please follow me on social media. I can be found on all the major social networks at Jeff Lerner Official. Thank you again for listening and please go be awesome.